Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. We have been lighting candles each week to draw our attention back to the lessons of Advent. Lighting candles is a simple but profound practice as it signifies light in the darkest places. We lit the candle of hope, reminding us of our hope in the one to come. And last week we lit the candle of peace, reminding us to imagine new ways of living in the peace of Jesus. And today we light the candle of joy. We light the candle of joy as a reminder that Jesus Christ alone is the way to unimaginable and everlasting joy. We remember God's promise that through Jesus, all sorrow and sadness will cease. The candle of joy reminds us of our need for a savior to rescue us from the darkness within us so that the birth of Jesus is the good news of great joy for all people. In a world that finds pleasure in the abundance of things and offers an abundance of escapes from our pain, we're called back to the stable where we find our true joy in Jesus, who will return for us. Our reading today comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56, where we see the joy of anticipation in Mary. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my soul rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Let us pray. Loving God of all creation rejoices for you. For it was you who hung the stars and you who made our beating hearts. So, as we anticipate the birth of your son, fill our hearts not only with hope, which we so desperately need, but also with joy. For when the nights feel too long and the darkness too strong, your joy lights the way for us. In your holy name we gratefully pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Um, Hi again. (laughs) Uh, So we've spent our Advent season so far uh, talking about different people in the story of the birth of Christ. And today we're going to talk about Mary. Um, And I have to say, I stole this from Chad. Uh, As we were like dividing up the sermon series, we sat down and we were like, who do you want to talk about? And I was like, I get Mary, I get Mary. Um, It was cooler than that, but um, he's talked about Mary the last few years, so it's not that that big of a deal. Um, But uh, I have a friend who texts me a lot on Saturdays just to see how I'm feeling about Sunday, and it's this uh, deep kindness. And so she texted last night, and she was like, how do you feel about your sermon? And I was like, it's Mary, so great. 
Like, I, I love her. I am so fascinated uh, by Mary. Um, honestly, uh, many of you in this room grew up Catholic. If we, like, look at our list of uh, people who call Springbrook their home church, it, it's like, I don't know, a quarter or a third of you grew up Catholic. It's a really substantial percentage. And so I'm a little jealous of you because you've really had access to Mary in a way those of us that grew up evangelical Protestant really didn't. Um, so you kind of understand this uh, fascination. But in the, prom, in the Protestant church, we think that Mary's great. Um, but then we also get a little nervous when people start to talk about her a little too much. Like uh, when the, we start to make Mary something a little special, the Protestant church, we get a little nervous. But there's a big problem with that, I think think because Mary is something special. Like she really, really is. She is very special. And calling Mary something special does not devalue the specialness of everyone else. We can call her special and everyone uh, can still be. It is a good thing to honor Mary, to honor her obedience uh, to the job that God asked her to do. Um, in the verses that come before what uh, the women's core group just read for us, uh, there's this verse where Mary, she goes to uh, stay with her cousin Elizabeth. And when she comes in, Elizabeth says, God has blessed you with this job, no one else. Like, this is your job. And it is a good thing uh, that we celebrate that and that we honor uh, Mary in that. Um, uh, Mary's, uh, the Greek word that, that often goes to describe Mary or this job that Mary had is uh, theotokos, and it means mother of God, but more accurately, like the literal English transition is God-bearer. That's who Mary is. She is the one who bore God into the world, and it is a title that only gets reserved for Mary, just hers, no one else's. Uh, her story says that one night she's visited by an angel who tells her that the Holy Spirit is going to put a baby into her belly that will be the Son of God sent to save the whole world. She is a teenage girl, and she finds out she's pregnant, and an angel tells her it is the work of the Spirit of God inside her. Uh, the work of the God who exists beyond anything that's possible. And Mary very rightly questions it. She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. She asked the angel, I think, an incredibly reasonable question. How is this even possible? And I just think if you've ever found yourself uh, questioning the miraculous nature of a virgin birth, uh, if that idea sounds absolutely bonkers to you, then don't feel bad. You are in very good company in the Bible. Um, there are two miraculous pregnancies that happen in Luke chapter 1, and almost everyone that finds out about them thinks they're being punked. Uh, we read Joseph last week. He was kind, but he was doubtful. Uh, we'll talk about Zechariah next week, and he has this whole thing uh, with, with doubting. Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, is like the only one who seems to think it is these miraculous pregnancies are reasonable. Uh, in the Bible, the general feeling toward miraculous pregnancies is, what? Like, how is this even possible? That's what everyone asks. Uh, don't feel guilty for struggling with a virgin birth if you do. It sounds impossible because it is impossible. It feels that way because it's supposed to feel that way. Uh, there's a poem uh, by W.H. Auden that has this line in it that I love. And he says this. He says, nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. 
Nothing that can save us is possible. Our rescue is found completely and entirely in the impossible, in the miraculous, in the stories of wonder that stretch our minds and stretch our hearts. If there are parts of the story of Jesus' birth that feel like they stretch you beyond what you could believe could possibly be true, it's okay. It's supposed to feel that way. Nothing that can save us is possible. Uh, There's a preacher I love in Arkansas named Ashley Matthews, and she says, the same God who formed your brain reserves the right to surprise it. So back to the question. It's a reasonable question. How is this possible? And she receives an answer that is beyond reason. Uh, Walter Wengren, who, who wrote a book called Preparing for Jesus that I love, he says at this point, when the angel answer marries, the, the angel turns from the rules to the ruler. He grounds the truth of his answer not in creation, but in a creator. The creator whose power and words lie beyond all possibility. The answer from the angel, when Mary says how this is possible, the angel's answer is it's possible because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is beyond possibility with God. And so Mary responds and she says, let it be. Let it happen to me how you say it will. Which brings us to our text today. Uh, This text out of Luke 1, it's the song of Mary. It's the song of this special woman, the God-bearer, who believed that God would do what he said he would do. It's the song of a woman who opened her hands and did what Chad talked about last week, left all outcomes of her marriage, her faith, her life, her body, all of it. She opened her hands and left all outcomes up to God. She banked everything on the salvation of the impossible that would be made possible within her. The song and the verses that uh, the women read for us today is called the Magnificat. Uh, The theologian N.T. Wright calls it the gospel before the gospel. It is the song of Mary who believed that God really would rescue the world. That that's what he was doing. It's the song of Mary who was faithful to what God asked her to do. And I've been struck all over again by Mary's uh, faithfulness and how it impacts us. Mary is faithful to the one who made her, who called her, who chose her, who set her apart, who covered her with favor. And God uses uh, her faithfulness to bear his son who would make a way where there was no way to rescue the world. And so our lives in this room today have been impacted by the faithfulness of a teenage girl who believed nothing was impossible with God. Our lives have been impacted by Mary, the God-bearer. And now 2,000 years later, we bear the fruit of her faithfulness. She's special. In her song, it tells the story. It tells the story of uh, the joy of her anticipation for the Son of God who would change uh, everything. Uh, It's interesting to me that part of what is recorded about Jesus' gestational experience is this song, this song from Mary. She was facing something hard, facing something uh, confusing, something impossible, and she sings this song of God taking the impossible and transforming it into something of meaning. 
It's uh, the song of the God who has the power to take uh, the pain and the hard and the confusing things and transform them and redeem them and renew them and resurrect them into something that will bear fruit for generation after generation after generation. Fruit like hope and peace and joy and love next week. I told Sandy Browning, we don't have love yet. That's next week. Mary, she sings a song of good news, a reminder that, that our faithfulness, it bears fruit. Our hard things, our impossible things, they are part of a much wider story than what we see right in front of us that bears fruit for generation after generation after generation. Uh, Eugene Peterson uh, says that the Holy Spirit's favorite genre to speak out of is story. I think I agree. He says this. I'm going to read a quote from him. He says, we don't have to look for God's presence in the skies or the schools or the religious places, but in a child born among us. God, he doesn't come as a mighty heavenly warrior brandishing a sword and hurling thunderbolts. God does not come as a wise sage calling a few super intelligent people into a seminar at which he imparts the secret knowledge of salvation God doesn't hide himself in babbling brooks and whispering trees for us to piece together like some gigantic puzzle. No, God gave us a story. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, God's favorite genre to speak out of is story. I very much agree with Peterson, and so that in mind, I want to tell you a story. Um, uh, my aunt, Kathy, uh, died when I was a kid. My mom's sister, uh, she had this bizarre kind of cancer, and um, it was awful. Uh, sometimes my family or people who know her will tell me that I remind them of her. It's like my favorite compliment I think I've, I've ever gotten. Uh, my boys were asking me to, to make a family tree the other day because they didn't, I love this, they don't know who's related to them and who's not because we're big on family. Um, and so they asked me to make a family tree, and we get to her, and they're like, oh, tell us about her. And I was like, oh, I could tell you. I could talk about her forever. She, she had, I was telling you this. She had this voice that was just for me. It was this character that she would do that I don't think anybody else knew about um, called Penelope Petunia, which is an absurd name. And, um, and she would use this one voice, and she would use it just for me. And I, I remember we're like walking around the whole grocery store, and, and she would use this absurd, silly voice that she knew spoke to me. She was uh, precious to me, just like so, so precious to me. And um, not just to me, anyone who knew her, precious to my mom. Um, I think she was my dad's best friend. Uh, she, just, she just was precious. And when she got sick, she got really, really sick. Uh, and in the last few weeks, I, I guess my mom and my dad and my um, uncle, sorry, I just looked at my mom. Uh, my uncles and aunts, they all, my grandmother, they all, um, would like stay around the, around the clock when she was in the hospital so that she didn't have to be alone, as you do. And, and my memories in this are kind of fuzzy because I was a kid, and we also had just sold a house, and then we were waiting to move into a new house, so we were having to live in a house that wasn't ours with our friends Bill and Millie because when your whole world falls apart, that's when you have to move in with someone else. You know, like that's how the life works, right? And so we're living with Bill and Millie, and I have this, I, my memories are spotty, but I remember this. I remember my dad would call sometimes at night from the hospital uh, to tell us goodnight before Millie would uh, take my brother and I to bed. And here's what I remember. I remember in those phone calls, I knew that everything was scary and everything was hard and my aunt was so sick and that she was going to die. I knew all of that was true. And every time he called, what I remember about those phone calls is I remember hearing her laughing in the background. Like she was just 
laughing. This woman that is so precious to me is laughing, and it sounded like a song. This joy in the darkest and most impossible place, it sounded like a song. And that's what happens, isn't it? Like in my life, that just keeps on being true. That laughter keeps showing up in the worst places in my life. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor says that joy is so mysterious because the only thing that joy requires is the presence of God. So it can show up anywhere. Anywhere. Like a song. In our hard things. And in our impossible things. Uh, there's a song uh, that, that I, I won't sing it. It says, well maybe I will. It says, um, Okay, the words are, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Do you know the song? This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Do you know? Anyone? This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And then the last line says, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. Joy, it isn't of this world. It is, uh, we aren't saved by anything possible, right? It isn't of this world. And so this world, because it doesn't give us joy, it doesn't get to take it away. It does not have the power to take it away. Many of you understand this. Like Mary, you have found a joy song in an impossibly confusing place in your life. You have had had access to joy in the middle of something scary or confusing or bonkers. Your story, it might not be the same as Mary's. Uh, Maybe it's different. Maybe you have joy in the middle of of incredible loss or incredible betrayal. Maybe you've found yourself laughing in the middle of a cancer treatment place or a hospital stay. I have spoken to you or been in the room with many of you when you get the worst news you could possibly imagine. And you've laughed in those rooms through your tears. We as people have learned through joy the both and of the kingdom that joy and sorrow, they often sit on the same bench and share the same space and hold hands in a confusing and seemingly impossible way. Joy, it it does not belong to this world. I think happiness does, but joy, it's something far beyond this world. It's far beyond the impossible. It's what Mary had access to before any other person on the earth. The joy of the Emmanuel, the joy of God with us. Mary's song, it came from uh, the story of eternity that was swelling up in her belly. All that is required for joy is the presence of God. And inside Mary was the Emmanuel. Inside Mary was God with us. God with Mary. Within her womb was Jesus, he was the source of joy, the presence of God in her. And now we bear the fruit of God's plan of presence and Mary's faithfulness to be part of it. Which means that joy can find us anywhere because God is everywhere. God with Mary, God with us. God with me uh, when they wheel my one-year-old back for heart surgery and my final, us laughing in the room. God with Jay and Melinda at Ethan's wreck. God in, when Dusty goes back for surgery for his cancer and we're laughing in the room. Sorry, Dusty. It, I could go around place after place in this room where God was with us. 
in the middle of the craziest and scariest time, God with you, when the one that you love turns to someone else or walks away altogether, God with you when you are lonely or confused or full of doubt, more doubt or disillusionment than you ever thought was possible. Joy, it does not belong to this world, so this world does not have the power to take it away. Because the song of Mary is true today, uh, and God is with us. Her song, it's still true. God still notices his people. He still regards his people no matter what your year has looked like, or your month, or your week, or whatever. He has looked on you, and he has regarded you. If you are sitting in this room, then you have been noticed by the Father. You have not been forgotten by him. His name, Emmanuel, means he is the God of presence and he is God with you. He is God with Mary. He is God with Lindsay. He is God with Miranda. He is God with Nick. He is God with Lindsay. I want to say every, I want to go around and just say all of your names. Maybe we will in communion. He is God with you. You have been noticed. And 2,000 years later, there is still mercy flowing wave after wave and generation after generation. This song is still true. God is still in the business of exalting the humble no, what, no matter what the media is telling us. God, he, he, the song still stands. The way of Jesus is still a way of hospitality and humility and making just crazy room for other people. Beginning with Abraham and going to this very moment, God has always and forever been in the business of making a way for his people. That promise is still true. It is true in our belief. It is true in our unbelief. It is true in our health crises and faith crises and hope crises and love crises. The song of Mary, it is still true. And the promise of the presence and rescue of God in Christ lives on today. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a minute, and I just want to sit and joy. And I don't have a whole lot of instruction other than I just want to create a space, and I want to allow the Holy Spirit to uh, bring joy into the room. And I don't know how it will do it in you. I just trust you will. Um, I haven't quoted Frederick Buechner yet today, so it feels like I should. He says this. He says, joy is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering, with tears in its eyes, even nailed to a tree. So I want to create a space for joy. And if you are feeling the tension, like the tension of joy and grief or joy and anger or, or joy and whatever uh, feels like a negative emotion, um, I want you to know that is a very Advent tension. This season is made for that tension. Advent is all about the tension that comes um, between what is and what will be in the kingdom of God when it comes in full. And so if you experience the tension of joy, don't, don't push it away. That's, that's what it's, that, that's normal. It's very much what it is. So I'm just going to pray and bless our time. There will be some verses on the screen. Um, and we'll just sit for a minute. So Holy Spirit, uh, we believe that your presence is in this room. And so I just ask that you would wake us up in a greater way uh, to what that presence looks like. And I ask really specifically, will you wake us up in a greater way to what joy looks like in us? Uh, this has been a hard week for a lot of people in this room. And so I just ask just like a special blessing of joy in the lives of people who have experienced great, 
grief and trauma this week. I pray for those of us in the room who are like, I don't understand. This has been the best week of my life or year of my life. And I just ask for more joy that's, that's already erupting. I pray for those of us who might need some healing in the past. I pray that you would remind us of moments that we thought were outside of possibility, outside of your scope, too dark to even remember. And will you remind us of little glimpses of joy in those moments where we laughed, where someone showed up that we didn't think would show up, where someone fed us when we forgot to eat, whatever it was. Will you just remind us of moments that... Um, a joy that is not possible in this world intercepted into our lives. And as you do that, will you firm up and remind us that the, that joy doesn't belong to this world, so it does not have the power to remove it. I just pray that you would make us sure of that. And then we pray. Amen.